You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. Hey everybody, it's just great to be here, share God's Word with you again. It's been a couple weeks since we were in the book of Philippians, uh, but we've had some great couple weeks. Pastor Abraham Joseph did a great job. We got to gather together at Hunter College. Matter of fact, let me make a mention of that as well. It was a great gathering, and many of you um, were able to come and participate. But let me also say that we are uh, no one gets left behind here. Some of you are not ready yet to return, to be in that public gathered space. Uh, that may be, take different time for different people to be comfortable with, but what I want you to hear is that we're all in this together. We're walking on this journey as Calvary, and that's going to also relate to the theme of our message today. The theme of our message today is actually going to be knowing Jesus we're going to look at. Actually, it's knowing Jesus, the joy of the gospel together. Knowing Jesus, the joy of the gospel together. We're going to continue as we've been looking at the book of Philippians, and and we're going to actually look today at Philippians chapter 1, verses chapter chapter 2, excuse me, Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 15. And I'm going to quote D.L. Moody in the message today. So I went ahead and I've got a copy of my uh, my little Bible here. This is a Bible that is a um, from Moody Church, where I served as an interim for the uh, last four years, just for serving with you. And so, but we got a lot of Moody appreciation at both Calvary and at Moody Church. But Philippians chapter 2 beginning at verse, the second part of verse 15. Now, if you're with us, was that one, two, three weeks ago now, last time we were in Philippians, I actually am going back a little bit to the verse that we covered and then moving forward from there. So I'm going to start uh, with verse 15, right? Verse 15, which it says at the end of it, second part of it, it says, among whom you shine like lights in the world, right? So we're looking at the text, right? My little Bible, among whom you shine like lights in the in the world, holding fast to the word of life, that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run, I did not run in vain or labor in vain, for I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, uh, likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. So it feels a little like a trend. It is a transitional in se- se- section in many ways. It feels like that because it is. But what I want us to specifically look at today is some of what it means to have the joy of the gospel together, knowing Jesus. We're going to talk about some tenacity in particular at the beginning because we need that gospel tenacity right now as well. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through and look through the passage and go through it in sections, little parts of it. We'll take it uh, bit by bit as we kind of walk our way through. Okay, so uh, remind you again the text. You know, we've already kind of uh, walked through a little bit of where what what that is and why that ultimately matters for us. Right? We shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of light. We uh, light. We've seen that, uh, and then it talks about I didn't run in vain or labor in vain, uh, but it comes back to rejoicing. So we're going to follow this outline. We're going to follow this outline as we walk through this passage together. That's where we're headed. And so several things we're going to look at, right? So first and foremost, we're going to talk about what what I'm calling here uh, gospel tenacity. Gospel tenacity, right? Because here's the big theme that we're talking about here, right? Gospel tenacity. Let's look at the passage. It's 
It's Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 15, the second part. It says, Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Okay, so uh, we ended our message three weeks ago with how we shined as lights or stars in the dark night. Our theme today is going to be holding firm, confident in Christ, surrendered and willing, brings gospel joy. Okay, holding firm, confident in Christ, surrendered and willing, brings gospel joy. I'm going to talk about being tenacious in holding the gospel. Let your testimony reflect this. Walk in humility. Be ever ready to obey. Be grateful uh, for the gospel, and which ultimately lead to joy. We are to be shining as lights. And it's interesting. It's a commendation of them, among whom you have. You are shining as lights. And so that's what we're doing, right? I mean, just to spend some time getting to know some of you in, together in some of our gathered space and continuing online, to see and hear and uh, have conversations out in the hallway or in between the seats and all socially distanced and appropriately mitigated, but to hear how God's using you. What a blessing that was. You know, how to, when things get darker, God's people shine brighter. When people get more outraged, we express greater joy. When our society is divided, we continue to love. This is gospel tenacity. Now, here's the challenge. Um, we have to recognize that these are still challenging times. And now, you know, we've got on the top of this, we've had all the realities of uh, COVID, all the realities of 2020, all the realities of 2020 revealed, not that 2020 created. And so darkness is, is real. Political division is still obvious and evident before us and more. But Martin Luther King put it this way, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. This is our inheritance, right? Don't, don't forget this too. Jesus literally said that, uh, that we are the light of the world. So when Paul writes to the church at Philippi that you will shine like lights in the darkness, right? It just, it makes a lot of sense that from that perspective, right? Uh, that lights guide us. Now, this is a real key thing, right? I want you to think about this, right? Um, when you think about a light, you just kind of take it for granted, right? So there are lights lighting me right now. People actually work on the lighting to make sure the lighting is good. So I hope it's okay. Um, but here, the lights indicate, when it talks about shine like lights in the world or stars in the sky, it seems to indicate some sort of guiding thing. Maybe today we might say, uh, that that among whom you serve as a GPS in a lost world. So from that perspective, John 8, 12 makes a lot more sense or maybe gives us more context as well. Let's take a look at it. It says this. It says, And Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever walks in me, right, whoever walks in me, don't miss this, because there's the walking, and now it's our action. Uh, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. And again, so again, Matthew 5, 14 you are the city on a hill. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, right? So we see in the passage, right, key things, right? We're getting a picture of what's going on here is that there is a clear sense that Jesus is the light. Now, in the midst of darkness and brokenness and the brokenness of the world, we're to actually shine as the light of the world, to shine as the light of the world. And if we if we get that, then we begin to see that in the world, it's not referring to God's good creation, but to the world's system of sin, marred and broken by Satan and evil. And it parallels what we talked about three weeks ago, 
in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So we begin to see the fullness of what's going on here. Again, to the passage, you are the light of the world. A city set upon a hill cannot be hidden. So that's your call, and that's my call to shine as light in the darkness. It awakens us, right? Think about turning on bright lights in the morning. helps us to wake up. It guides us. You know, flashlights are an $8 billion global market. When we see the dark, we need a light. Also, uh, lighthouses. Think about how lighthouses are there. Or think about how how light brings uh, joy. Think about uh, some of the fireworks we see and more and the joy that that ultimately brings. Or, Or even where it makes things safe, right? A 2018 study in New York City actually found crime reduced by 39% in distressed communities by more lighting. So all this light makes a difference. So the Lord's calling us to be that light as well. But that's not all. It talks about being the light. And then also it talks about holding fast, being the light and then holding fast. Now, this is key because I I want you to know that I'm convinced that as Calvary Church, we're going to need to hold fast together. Right, even even as we got a taste of what it would like to gather together for some of us, maybe not even most of us, but we we gathered last week at Hunter College, and what a great gathering it was. But you know, for others, that's like it, it makes us actually miss it even more. It makes us wonder if we can hold together, and the answer is yes, we can hold together if we hold fast. We can hold together if we remain steadfast. Now, it's interesting, this word in the original language, hold fast, is actually used in a few other places uh, as as well in Scripture. Let me show you a couple of them. For example, in uh, 1 Timothy 4.16, it says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Hold fast. It's actually keep keep it close. Keep a close eye on it. Or in Acts 5.35, excuse me, it says he fixed his attention. So the idea of focusing, holding fast is Moving from figurative, the light that guides, to literal, holding fast, he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. So again, using this word's used in a lot of different ways, a lot of different contexts. But sometimes, life is great. Sometimes things are going awesome. Uh, The wind's at our back, the, the light is shining well, and our life seems to be filled with many blessings. And then... Then there's not times like that. Then sometimes the whole year, 2020, comes upon us, right? And Eugene Peterson put it this way, to be human is to be in trouble. To be human is to be in trouble. So what do we do when we face troubles or difficulties or struggles? We hold forth the gospel with confidence and joy. And sometimes we feel like we're just barely holding on. I remember as a kid in the comic, I used to watch these uh, cartoons, not comics, these cartoons on Saturday morning. And the little, you know, roadrunner would be just hanging on the edge, hanging on the edge of a little branch on the edge of the cliff. And sometimes, well, the branch gives way. The difference in the comic or the cartoons I watched as a kid is today is we might just be holding on, but the branch doesn't give way. The devil's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants your testimony. He wants to keep us mired in the muck of the everyday so we lose our focus on God's grand plan for the world. I don't know about you, I find it, right? Maybe you're dri- maybe you're driving and and you, you hit that, that that famous or infamous New York traffic somewhere and 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 we need you know when you travel to work you fight it and and you you fight for integrity for yourself in the midst of traffic or you're at home with the kids and you, you fight for patience in the midst of frustration or when you disagree with your spouse you fight for clarity and unity. So there's a sense of holding fast, right? But I don't want you to miss this. 
it's not that we're holding fast on our own. It's not that I'm the one who's keeping the grip so that it makes it so tight, right? It says, right, we're going to hold fast. But remember, the recurring theme throughout Philippians is really key that we don't miss this. A recurring theme throughout Philippians is that is that that it is God who is at work in you. Just, just, just last week, it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God is doing this thing. So we have one who held fast for us. He died for us. He fought the urge to give up and to surrender, to, to not follow his father's will. He, he, and then, because of what he's done on the cross for our sin and in our place, that faithfulness to God's will, that tenacity, right? We now have the light of light in us. And we can walk in that level of gospel tenacity. And I want you to know, we're going to need gospel tenacity as a church right now. We need you to recognize. I know some of you want to go forward faster. Some of you want to go slower. I get it all. Not everyone's moving at the same pace. But here's the thing. We follow the same person, God the Son. We follow Jesus the Christ. And that gospel tenacity, we're going to hold fast. We're going to hold tight to one another. Why? Because we're shining as lights in the world and holding fast. Again, the words are holding fast to the word of life. And I love how that passage describes for us the call that ultimately we have. So let's remember holding firm, confident in Christ, surrendered and willing brings gospel joy. Be tenacious in holding to the gospel. Be tenacious to holding to the gospel. Let your testimony reflect this reality, right? Uh, be tenacious, um, Be walk in humility, ever ready to obey and be grateful for the gospel, which leads to joy. So how do we fight? Well, that leads to kind of our next point in the message, right? We're going to look through four things today. Uh, Number two on our outline is going to get to uh, gospel tenacity. Gospel tenacity leads to gospel testimony. Here we are. So number one, gospel tenacity. Number two, gospel testimony. Here's what it says. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. What is going on here? What's he talking about? See, Paul had this confidence in the Christians at Philippi, the Philippians. He had this confidence in them. We actually know that because we've actually already talked about that. If you're joining our series, you know, and thank God you're here, right? Maybe someone invited you. Maybe you're loving the word of God being taught. Maybe you're loving worship with us at, at Calvary. Our whole team's doing such a great work. We gave them a round of applause at Hunter College last week. We can do that every week. We're thankful for our teams, our staff and volunteer who make all this happen. Okay, so 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 maybe that's kind of the the uh, the, the you're joining with us. You're like, well, I'm not really familiar. What does Paul think about the church at Philippi? Well, actually, if you go back, you'd see it. But here's what he says earlier. He says, "It is as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed at all. Do not be ashamed at all. But that with full courage, now as always." Christ will be honored in my body, uh, whether and my, my body, by, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is to gain. Remember, he says, "So the day of Christ, I may be proud. I did not run in vain or labor in vain." Just builds right on what he said a chapter ago, which is um, that I'm just I have eager expectation, and hope that I will not be ashamed at all. So he recognizes that the testimony of the church at Philippi, the, the Philippian believers, that the testimony that is there, they're holding fast to the word of God and being blameless and encourages him as well. It's important that um, Paul struggled at times with this, right? Paul struggled even with the weight, um, even with what I call anxiety related to the function and action and activity of some of the churches. Take a look. 
It says, and apart from the other things, there is daily pressure on me of my anxiety or my concern for all the churches. So fascinating to see his, his great and important concern. Thankful for that obvious uh, and evident concern as well. Now, here's the thing. Uh, Paul loves to use a couple of things throughout his writing. One is the uh, idea of running, and the other is the idea of laboring. Now, um, running is kind of a favorite term of Paul, which probably shouldn't surprise us in that day. You know, the Olympics were pretty um, well-known. People have sporting events, and so Romans would be familiar with sporting activities and more. So consistently, Paul loves to use athletic analogies uh, in his messages. In the before time, I uh, just in, what was it, last summer, I was in Athens, Greece. And while I was there, my daughter and I went to see some of the uh, Olympic venues of old. I mean, there's also Olympic venues of now, but but um, but they would tell the stories and how they, they would run and the and the amount of physical exertion and I mean it was just amazing, and you know that Paul had some of this in mind, particularly when there were places like this at Philippi. So the idea he says is you got to run like this, sisters and brothers, as followers of Jesus, we're going to have to run the race with endurance. Again, knowing that it's God who is working you both to will and to do for His good pleasure, but we're going to have to run that race. And then Paul uses the term labor, not like a woman having a baby, but actually like work. And it has the idea of the idea of sometimes of a weariness that could also be there as well, a, a, a weariness that he might have felt as, um, as kind of pressing forward on this spiritual journey. This weariness was evident as well. Take a look. It says again, um, it says that whether by life, whether, whether, um, whether by my life or by my death, for me to live is Christ and to die is to gain. So it keeps coming back to that theme that the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Now, I don't want to put this on you in a way that you think this is all your work. Because again, uh, if you think that, it's hard when you preach through the book of the Bible, the emphases flip back and forth. So you're not, if you just listen to this message and say, but I got to labor in vain more. And then you forget that Jesus said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or other places, even in the book here, uh, uh, where Paul writes to the church at Philippi, is that we can't do it on our own. Is nothing that you have in you, even your desire to grow, God is to will and to do, even your desire to grow, and then your capacity for spiritual growth are both deeply connected and deeply tied and rooted in and dependent upon God's work in you. Let's take a look. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse 5, in case we missed it, right? His confidence was not in himself. His confidence, in a sense, was in them, but because they had gospel tenacity and through gospel testimony now of believers living out their faith, his boast was in them, confident that they will obey the spirit of Jesus living in them. And he says elsewhere, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. So don't miss this, right? So Paul's calling them to live out their gospel testimony. That gospel tenacity matters. That gospel uh, testimony is lived out when he says that I'm not going to be ashamed. I may be proud that I didn't run or labor in vain because of how you're living for the gospel. But then, like so many things in the scriptures, when it emphasizes perhaps here some of our effort, 
Remember, we talked about a few weeks ago, Dallas Willard's quote, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. But then we get to humility. Remember the big theme I've been talking about as we walk through. Um, when we said holding firm, that's first, right? Gospel tenacity. Confident in Christ, that's gospel testimony. Uh, surrendered and willing, that's gospel humility. That's gospel humility, right? Let's take a look at it here. Gospel humility, right? So where it's verse 17, even if I am proud, right? He says this, he says, I'm proud, you know, I have confidence. And they says, but even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. Wow. So here we see Paul going from, I'm proud and confident of God's work in you. And that's a good thing to boast on, be confident in God's work. So now we see his humility. Now remember, this is really key. I don't want us to forget this. Remember when he's talking about his humility, we want not to forget that he had just talked about, this is why it's so great to go through a book of the Bible, that he had just talked about the church at Philippi and said, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed, and that goes on to here, he humbled themselves to the, to the point of obedience, even death on the cross. So, so when Paul talks about humility, he says, even if I'm poured out as a drink offering, right? I'm poured out as a drink offering. What does that, what does that mean? Okay, so there's a sense where he might be suffering or giving of himself or laboring with great difficulty. It says that upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So he actually doesn't speak of his own strength. He actually points back to what God is doing through him and through the people there as well. Right now, this is so key. Uh, Paul's humility is refreshing in a world where humility is not so common. Right, you walk up and down the streets of New York and you'll see uh, a sign on every corner, uh, uh, an announcement on on many a sandwich board saying, this here, you gotta come here, you gotta see this. And, and it's very easy to think of ourselves as those whose job it is to announce the greatness of us. Paul's actually saying something different. Paul's actually saying something that's pretty significantly different. He's talking about their gospel testimony, right? He says, in the day of Christ, I'm going to be proud, not because of me, but I didn't run in vain or labor in vain. No, I didn't. Um, why? Because even as I'm poured out, here's the humility, even as I'm poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. And I love this idea because Paul's just willing to leave it all on the field, to use an athletic example, right? To, to do what it takes, to see it poured out, whatever it takes. I, I love this overwhelming theme throughout the scriptures. For example, Job 13, 15. I mean, just this idea, no matter what it takes, Lord, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be obedient. And whatever it takes, though he slay me, I still will hope in him. And this might be exactly the kind of word you need to hear right now. Maybe it's the kind of word that we need to hear as a church. So though, though we can't meet in our building right now, though there's limitations on where we can gather, though not only can we not get in our building, but sometimes it's struggle to get in other buildings, though there's all kinds of challenges as us in a church, no matter what happens, I will hope in him. Or maybe it's you personally. Like, and I've had physical difficulty, or I'm struggling, or, or I've had family or relational difficulties, though whatever happens. Now, Job's not saying that he wants to be killed. The story of Job is complex. We don't have time to unpack it all here. But he says, whatever happens, I still, I will still hope in him. That's a gospel humility. 
So, right, we started with gospel tenacity. We're going to continue our eyes fixed, focused, holding fast. We went to gospel testimony, Paul's confidence in their testimony enduring to the end. But then there's that gospel humility. Though he slay me, this is Job, I will trust in him. It's interesting. That's not just an Old Testament reference as well. I love the example of Mary. Look at Mary who said this, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Let it be done to me according to your word. Now, now again, don't want you to miss this because th- this is key, right? I don't want you to be of the mistaken view that we can't talk about this except at Christmas time. Maybe you've already thought about putting up your Christmas tree. If you have, let me just tell you that's wrong. You've made a bad choice. Christmas trees go up only the weekend after Thanksgiving. That's the rule. It's in the Bible. Second Opinions chapter 4 verse 11. But you know, Mary's example is not just, this is really key, Mary's example is not just a Christmas example. It's an obedience example. And maybe, you know, I grew up in a tradition where Mary was talked about sometimes more than Jesus, and we can sometimes pendulum swing to the other way. Mary is an amazing example of gospel humility. Actually, she's an amazing example of gospel tenacity, gospel testimony, and gospel humility. Again, look at the words. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Right? So here, so we get this picture of Paul. We, I use other examples of Job and Mary, but Paul throws himself into this ministry completely and regardless of cost. And he did it with great joy. He was fully committed. And he was talking to the Christians at Philippi and saying they were fully committed. He had no fear that he would be ashamed. He knew that they that their gospel testimony would be rooted in their gospel fidelity, which would be empowered by ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit. So um, D.L. Moody is, of course, um, I told you I had my, 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 my Moody Bible, my little Moody Bible. They, they printed these um, at the church, right? So um, there's Moody Bible Institute, which is a separate institution, but... I guess not dissimilar to the New York School of the Bible and Calvary, right? So, uh, but but it was a more separate by the time, over the years. And so, um, but I love D.L. Moody for a lot of different reasons. In the before time, I used to take people on a tour of the museum at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, and I'd walk them through the history of evangelism, right? And I'd stop at this one place where D.L. Moody was, and there's a little corner. It's hard to describe it. Maybe one day I can take you through it. But I go to this little corner. I talk about D.L. Moody, and I love telling this story. So um, Moody had heard a preacher named Varley was his name, who said this: "The world has not yet to see what God can do with a man fully surrendered to Him." And then people often credit Moody with saying that. It was actually Moody did say that at times, but he's quoting somebody else. But he said, "By God's grace, I'll be that man." And so uh, Moody, as I said, he shook two continents for the Lord, right? Um, Hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of, a million people came to faith in Christ, uh, or came came to Christ under his preaching. Um, He didn't, he wasn't a polished speaker or anything. It's fascinating. There's two recordings of him that survived. They were on wax rings. And I loved, um, I was preaching through the Beatitudes at the Moody Church. And one of the wax rings actually is a Moody reading part of the Beatitudes. But, you know, wax rings didn't preserve well. It's now, you can find it on YouTube now if you Google it. And um, and what it does is it has him talking, but it kind of comes in, if I recall, at verse 3, and he fades out at verse 9. And so I started reading the Beatitudes. You know, blessed are they, blessed are you. 
I started reading them, and then I matched my cadence to Moody's cadence. He was a fast talker, too, um, and uh, with a Bostonian accent that is hard to understand. Um, but so I matched my cadence to his cadence, and so he began to read, and you could hear it's kind of a scratchy voice, and people were looking around because they heard the sound sort of rise up, and I kept reading until, I guess, maybe verse 4 or 5, and then I let my voice fade out. I stopped reading, and Moody kept reading verses 7 and 8, and nine, and probably when it got to about eight, I had them put up a picture of D.L. Moody so they knew who it was. Because again, we—it's a very thick Boston accent; you wouldn't recognize it. And and then I picked up where he left off and read through, and I love that. Why? Because what a what a witness Moody was. And the reason Calvary is here is because of the witness of women and men who've gone before us. In the case of Moody at Moody Church, to hear his voice was a powerful thing, but. But Moody Church, Calvary Church, goes on, right? Goes on long after its founders are with the Lord, long after its past facilities have uh, been ground to dust, long after its um, you know expressions have changed and more. The gospel remains the same. Um, well, so at a memorial, memorial service at of Moody's death, uh, what happened then? R.A. Torrey, you know the name R.A. Torrey, of course you do. Uh, he had been um, one of closest Moody's closest friends. Here's what he said. He said, uh, he said, the first thing that accounts for God's using D.L. Moody so mightily was that he was a fully surrendered man. Remember, gospel humility is our focus. Paul's surrendering here, being poured out as a drink offering, leaving it all on the field, mixing our metaphors, but you get it. He said, every ounce, talk, Tory talking about Moody, every ounce of that uh, 200, every ounce of that 280-pound body of his belonged to God. You may know that D.L. Moody was a big man with a beard. Nothing, I don't have, you know, why would I like that? But he was a big man with a beard. Um, and so he, he reads this, and every ounce of that 280-pound body of his belonged to God. Everything he had, everything he was and everything he had belonged wholly to God. And I love that. I actually say, when I do the tour, I'd say, I hope when I die that people will say something nice about me at my funeral. Maybe they'll say he was fully committed to the Lord. I wouldn't at all put myself in the same category as D.L. Moody. But the one thing I ask is you don't have to mention my weight at the funeral. I always thought that was a weird thing that they mentioned that there. But D.L. Moody's full commitment is a reminder to us of the call that we have, right? So the gospel humility that we see here, right? Again, Paul writes, even if I'm poured out, leave it all in the field, do it all for God. And, and sisters and brothers, that, that's us right now. We're, we need to pull together. We need to stand up, stand out, stand in the gap, show and share the love of Jesus, recognize that the challenges we were in, which we thought maybe in March would be over by June, aren't yet. We're still not gathering on a weekly basis in person, but we still have this. Thank God, imagine people before us didn't have this. And so we still have this and what the Lord may be calling us to do. And what a, I, I just, in God's providence, I, I noticed when this was the passage following our gathered worship, where I think some people would go to the gathered worship and say, Wait, we have we can't we just keep going and 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 there are too many, it's we'll we'll get there. But right now, what we need is a gospel humility. All of us pouring it out, leaving nothing on the field, because God is at work in our lives and in our church. It makes all the difference. But here's the thing, that's not a mindless drudgery. Not at all. Look at this. Look at this. This is verse 18. 
After saying all these things, remember we talked about gospel tenacity, holding fast, right? Shining like stars, gospel tenacity, gospel humility. Paul's confident that they're going to walk and stay faithful to their testimony, right? We saw the beauty of what he was meant by their gospel testimony. We saw gospel humility, right? Paul saying, even if I'm poured out, it's not about me. I'm going to leave it all in the field. Now we get to gospel joy, gospel joy, right? Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me, right? So don't don't miss this, right? Because we talked about it already. It's holding firm, right? Holding firm, confident in Christ, surrendered and willing, brings gospel joy. These things are related, right? So when Paul says, likewise, right? Likewise, like I am, likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice. So Paul's actually now backing back up and saying, just like for me, gospel tenacity, gospel testimony, gospel humility leads to gospel joy, the joy of the gospel together. See, that's what we have. We have the joy of the gospel together, a beautiful picture of that ultimate gospel work. Now, we don't want to miss that, right? The joy of the gospel together. Paul's so clear about the joy he experiences, he states it in verse 17, and it says it again in the Philippians, uh, to the Philippians. He says in 16, this time in the epistle, right? This is over and over and over and over again. It says in verse 17, I'm glad and rejoice with you. Remember? Then he says, in the case we missed it, in verse 18, likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Now, sure, that's a literal, a literary way of saying it. Let's say it again. He's trying to emphasize a point. It says in verse 17, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me, okay? I've said before, when something's once in the Bible, that's enough. When something's twice, this is a significantly important, life-altering, trajectory-changing experience. And, and again, we know there's a difference between joy and happiness. The term happiness is rooted in our English word, or comes from the same root word as the word happenstance, which is tied directly to your circumstances. So sure, I mean, I can have happiness when I have a good happenstance. I was walking over to the uh, church offices and it's not far from 72nd and Broadway where I still remember walking across the street with my oldest daughter who this was many trips ago but she has a habit she would always look down and find things on the ground and we were walking across Broadway and I said you can't you can't stop and look down because she did we're walking across you know the, 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 it was still we still have the the the, the walk sign um, but we're walking across. She stops, looks down, picks something up. And I'm saying, I said, Kristen, we got to go. We can't stop in the middle of a New York City road. You can't stop in the middle of Broadway. And, but she said, but dad, I found this. And I, and I said, come on, we got to go. What did she find? You know, did she find a, a, a top of a bottle? What did she find? Well, we got to the other side and I said, I said, what did you find? You know, I was, I was much, nicer. I said, what did you find? Uh, and she found a Bluetooth headset. Um, it was worth about a hundred and some bucks right there in the middle of the road. So we looked around, much to her disappointment, to see if anyone dropped it. They didn't. We got to take it. So she still, to this day, reminds me that, um, that, that ultimately her looking down, finding that thing, and she was so happy that day. She happenstance, I found a Bluetooth headset on 72nd and Broadway, happenstance, no one was around to claim it, so I got to keep it, put a lot of happiness into my young daughter that day. But joy is there when you lose your headset, when you can't find your way through some of the challenges of life, joy remains because it's pervasive. 
it comes from a great knowledge that Jesus is in control. He's still present. He doesn't give us all the answers, but he does give us and promise him himself. Now, I need to move quickly forward. I went too long last week at, at church, so I can't do that again today. I've already gone too long. But let me just say a couple more things. Um, Philippians 1, 3, and 4. Let's go back and remember. I thank my God. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, uh, for you all, making my prayer with joy over and over again. My last point is 1 John 1, 3 through 4 reminds us how much we need each other. We proclaim to you what we've also seen and heard so that you, you may also also may have fellowship with us. And so our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. And I want you to miss this. As I close, I want you to hear so beautiful. Be tenacious in holding to the gospel, holding firm. Confident in Christ, not in ourselves. Paul was confident in the work of Christ in them. Surrendered and willing. That's gospel humility because it brings gospel joy. I want us to walk in joy individually, and I want us to walk in joy as Calvary. When we were tenacious to holding to the gospel, we let our testimony reflect this. We walk in humility, ever ready to obey, and we're grateful to the gospel. It will lead to great joy. Would you pray with me that we might have that joy together? Let's pray. Father, remind us about gospel tenacity. We need to hold firm. Hold firm to our faith and hold firm to one another as we walk through challenging times at Calvary. Lord, remind us that our confidence is not in you, but even Paul spoke about this, this uh, gospel testimony. He was confident it would be maintained because God was at work. Help us to be surrendered and willing, that gospel humility. Help us to not think the strength is in us or chariots, or horses, or the one who builds the wall, or the one who builds the, the building, it won't, it won't stay up without God's goodness and grace. Father, remind us that ultimately that brings gospel joy. May we rest in and experience the joy of the gospel together. For it's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. For more information, to connect, make a prayer request, or make a contribution, go to our website at www.cbcnyc.org or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you'll join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.